From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official health care provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The end of the road has come for the 2017 Gator football season, with the orange and blue looking to go out in a blaze of glory against FSU in the Swamp. On today's show, we'll talk about the matchup with the Seminoles and the significance of Senior Day with punter Johnny Townsend, defensive back Duke Dawson, and FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter. Also, we'll get a preview of basketball's appearance at the PK-80 tournament from FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry. But first, let's hear from some of the seniors ahead of what will be their final collegiate game. Punters may not always get the credit they deserve, but there's no doubting Johnny Townsend's impact on the program and how vital he's been to the Gators' success. We spoke to Florida's newly minted all-time leader in punts about his career and began by asking what it meant for the team to snap the losing streak against UAB. Uh, it was huge for us. Um, you know, you're not wrong when you say we faced a lot of adversity. Um, you know, we've been through pretty much everything. Um, but, you know, it was, it was big for us, big for the team, and, you know, big for the momentum of the program going into the Florida State game. It's been such a weird season for a lot of reasons, but going back to the aftermath of the Georgia game, can you just talk about, you know, as you guys are going through that and you're just going about your business, how you found out what was going on with Coach Mack and, and just the ripples that that sent through the program? Sure. You know, um, you know, it's not my first coaching change I've been through since I've been here. So, you know, we did a good job of figuring out how we were going to deal with it and push forward from there. You know, and the guys responded well to it. Um, Coach Shannon stepped in and you know, did a great job leading us in the right direction. And, and a lot of the younger guys are going to figure out how they're going to respond to it. So, you know, I think we handled it well. Having been through that coaching change earlier in your career with uh, Coach Muschamp, did guys turn to you? And, and if, if people leaned on you, what did you tell them about how to get through something like this? Uh, yeah, some some of the younger guys did lean to me. Um, you know, at this point in the season, at this point dealing with the situation that we're in, um, the game becomes a little bit more personal. You know, you start figuring out ways that you, you can help yourself, you know, which in turn will help the team win. So I like to say, you know, your individual success can you know really benefit the team's success. So, you know, if you're going out executing your assignments and, you, you know, you're winning your one-on-one matchups and you're handling what you have to handle on and off the field individually, that will help the team as a whole. So including Coach Shannon, I think you've now had, is it four head coaches in, in some capacity? Is that right? <laughs> yes, sir. I've had four. <laughs> so four head coaches. So when Coach Shannon came in and took over, wh- what did you see that he did that helped change things? I mean, what did he implement that you thought, okay, this is really effective. I like what he's doing here. Uh, you know, he's been coaching the game for a long time. And, you know, I think one thing he does really well is you know, he knows how to handle the mental aspect of the game especially, you know, some of these younger guys that come into the program. And you know, this is their first little taste of adversity. You know, they've been high school All-Americans. They've been real successful in high school. And, you know, they get here and the game is just way different. And he helps, you know, those younger guys develop and, you know, really understand what's going on. So much of the discussion right now is about who's new coach is going to be, a lot of that playing out over social media. So I'm curious how much that gets discussed among the players. And is it hard not to get wrapped up in it like everybody else? Yeah, you know, I think it is hard to not get wrapped up in it. Um, you know, it can sometimes be a distraction. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, this isn't my my first coaching change. So it is easy for the players, you know, kind of get caught up in the social media aspect and, you know, the chatter from the fans and, you know, their expectations. But, 
you know, at the end of the day, we're still playing football, and our main focus is winning the next game. So and that's what we're going to do this week as well. If we can go back to your early days playing football, how did you first get involved with the game? Uh, you know, I just got, first got involved playing flag football at my you know, elementary school. And, you know, I just worked my way up from there. I played some Pop Warner and City League, and then, you know, I got into high school ball. And, you know, I just I fell in love with the game at a young age. I'd always grew up a Gator fan, and, you know, I watched Tim Tebow growing up and, you know, some of those guys in that era. And it really inspired me to pursue, you know, playing college football, especially here at the University of Florida. So, you know, when I got here, it was a dream come true. Were you always a punter, or what, what positions did you play early on in your football career? Yeah, so I actually played quarterback on the majority of my career. You know, up until my freshman year, I played quarterback. And then, you know, I played free safety and, you know, some outside linebacker after that. But, you know, I started punting my sophomore year of high school. That's when I started taking it seriously. And um, so it had never really been a main focus of mine until you know, I realized I had opportunities to pursue to the next level. Um, I played baseball as well, too. So you know, I was a two-sport guy and I played some other positions. See, there's such a connotation that punters and kickers aren't real football players, right? So was it hard for you <laughs> to get into the mindset of being a punter, given what people always try and say to, to knock punters and kickers down a peg? It is. You know, I play in other positions. I love the physicality of the game. And, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to make a bunch of, you know, really good open field tackles this year. So, you know, hopefully we can change that uh, mindset that everybody has that, you know, punters aren't athletes. Did you have a soccer background at all, the way that Eddie did, or were you always just a football player? Yeah, I was just a football, baseball guy. I never really played soccer. I played when I was really young, like fourth grade, but and that was really it. How did punting come up then? I mean, one day did you just were you doing it for fun, <laughs> and someone said, "Hey, you can actually you can actually hit that thing." So yeah, it was always kind of, especially at the high school level, it's sometimes the most neglected position is the punter. So, you know, my freshman year, um, our coach was like, all right, who wants to punt? We're going to get about four guys and see who can punt it the furthest. So we all got a ball and we kind of lined up and, you know, we just went at it and I just happened to kick one really, really good. And then, you know, from there on out, I just, you know, started refining my craft and, and getting better at it. And you know, here I am. You've had an interesting career in that you played unexpectedly as a freshman when Kyle Christie started struggling and then redshirted your entire sophomore year when he found his groove again. Looking mm-hmm. back on it now, what impact did sitting out that year have on you after you had already been the starter? Um, you know, it was interesting. You know, not many people get in that situation, um, you know, where they start their freshman year and then have to redshirt. But, you know, I, I took it as a positive. You know, I got a little bit of taste of the game my freshman year and saw what it was all about and um, got a little idea of how much different the speed of the game is. And then, uh, you know, my sophomore year, I got to work with Kyle, who is one of the best players in college football, and, uh, you know, work on my mental aspect of the game. Um, I used that year to develop a lot physically, but also mentally, and, you know, in terms of the different wins in the different stadiums and different punts in different situations and, you know, how to handle the pressures of backed-up punts. And so, yeah, I really worked on my mental aspect of the game, and it was, it was really beneficial going into that 2015 season for me. You know, punting and kicking are so interesting because in a lot of ways, it, it's on you. You know, that's what people always say, well, why can't he make that kick? Why can't he hit that punt? There's nothing, you know, there's no other factors that are that are affecting him. When you're working on the mental part of your game, as you say, what what do you do to refine that? Because it is so much about you and it is so isolated sometimes. Exactly. You know, I think, um, you know, one of the hardest things to, you know, judge in a specialist is their mental game. I mean, you can see how far they can kick the ball. They can see you know, how flexible they are, but, but you can't really determine, you know, how they handle situations when things get tough. Um, you know, responding to a bad kick is, is what I do best. If, you know, you hit a ball the way you don't want to hit it, how are you going to respond to it? Um, and, you know, I kind of have that forget mentality where, if, you know, mm-hmm. if I hit a really, really good ball, 
you got to forget about it because you're going out on the field the next next point trying to you know beat it. So you know if, if you can do a good job of forgetting you know that bad kick, forgetting that good kick, just going kind of living in the moment, you'll be a lot more successful. You've hit a record number of punts in your time at the University of Florida. And I, I don't know if there are any that stand out to you, but I mean, do you have a favorite play, a favorite moment from your career? You know, I do. Um, and like you said, it's, it's a lot of punts. Um, <laughs> so there's there's a handful that have been pretty memorable. Um, a couple of years ago, the Florida-Georgia game, um, I hit a pooch punt, you know, towards their end zone and you know, they muffed it. We recovered it for a touchdown and it was a huge momentum shift in the game. And I think that was one of my most memorable punts. How much pride do you take when people would say that you're the team's greatest weapon? I mean, what does it do for you confidence-wise that you've been so important to the way this team has played the last few years? And it's, it's really nice to earn recognition. You know, as a punter, you, know, you can sometimes fire under the radar, but I'm, I have a really competitive spirit. So, you know, whenever I can make an impact in the game and, you know, help benefit my team to help them win, I love the recognition. And it definitely fuels my passion and keeps me motivated. What's the hardest part of the, the punting operation that people don't think about? Is it the long snap? Is it some of the blocks you have to get? I mean, it, it looks so simple and straightforward when you see it, but when you're working on it in practice, what are the trickiest parts of the, the whole operation? Um, you know, they don't call a specialist for, for nothing. You know, it's, <laughs> it's the most specific, detailed position on the field, you know, in terms of the snap, um, having to catch the ball and mold it and drop it the right way and then make contact it you know, about the spot the size of a quarter um, on that ball. So, you know, it's very difficult. Um, you know, our whole operation is you know, under two seconds from the time the ball is snapped to the time it hits my foot. So, you know, it happens very quick, and if things aren't in the right place, and you know, it could go wrong. So, you know, we work really hard every day on, you know, making sure everything is where it needs to be. And, you know, so when we get out to the games, muscle memory just takes over and we execute. In addition to the, the favorite punt that you had that you mentioned, is there a favorite game that you've competed in in your time, one that, that meant a lot to you? Oh, yeah, for sure. It stands out completely. 2015 Old Miss game. Uh, it was an unreal experience. I'd never seen the swamp, you know, rocking the way it was. The fans were going nuts, and, you know, we just laid it on them. And we weren't expected to win that game, and, you know, we really just showed everybody what we could do. In terms of ways guys get better, I know something you've been involved with, the Coles kicking camps throughout your career. How has mm-hmm. working with so many other specialists helped you improve, and, and what have you learned from those experiences? Yeah, well, I think the coolest thing about it is, you know, we're one giant fraternity. So, you know, going into every game and, you know, going in every week, um, every college kicker and punter across the country is hitting each other up, you know, trying to beat each other's stats. So, you know, it's a really cool experience. But, you know, having that opportunity with Jamie Cole and Cole's kicking, um, you know, is one of a kind. We we usually meet a couple times a year and, and do training sessions and do camps. And, you know, it's awesome to get around all the other guys and get the chance to compete and pick each other's brains and, you know, work on our craft. So it's, it's a unique experience. What are some of the things that, that you learned from other guys? Like if you're talking to another punter up at that camp, what's something you'll take from him? Yeah, so I try to take a little bit, you know, from every time I link up with those guys. Um, you know, punting is like a golf swing, and everyone strikes the ball a little bit different. Everyone has a different approach. So, yeah, it's cool to see how um, other people work with their craft and, you know, hit the ball and have different types of forms and approaches to the game. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. So we're, we're all different, but we're all the same. You were recently named a finalist for the Senior Class Award. Can you talk about some of your work off the field that's put you in the running for that and what it means to be in that category? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, all through high school, ever since I was a kid, actually, and I was involved in Boy Scouts. Um, you know, I, I earned the rank of Eagle Scout as a junior in high school. You know, so I'd always been involved in, you know, philanthropic events. And, and when I got to campus, the University of Florida, I got involved in Goodwill Gators. 
And um, yeah, I did as much as I could to volunteer in, at local elementary schools and be a mentor for kids and canned food drives and, and things like that. And you know, that was just one of the things I did. And later on in my college career, I got involved in student government. And uh, I was I was a treasurer for you know one of the student government campaigns, which we won the election, and you know we're now the governing body at University of Florida, which is pretty neat. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I got a, and then I got elected into uh, Florida Blue Key, which is um, Florida's oldest and most prestigious leadership honorary. And um, you know we do a lot of stuff on campus from Gator Grow to you know just coordinating big events. Um, you know we're big leaders on the campus, and you know one of the most exciting things I'm really looking forward to getting started is. Uh, I recently began my own foundation called the Johnny Townsend Foundation, huh. and I'll actually be posting it you know, on social media next week. Um, I'll be raising money for Shan's uh, Pediatric Hospital. We'll be renovating the uh, outpatient infusion clinic, so we're going to be raising money for that and doing as much as we can to even help those kids out. So I'm pretty excited about that. That's really cool. That's really cool. So in addition to all that, I was going to add, and we're going to get back to the Eagle Scout thing in, in a couple minutes, but you also are getting your master's degree right now. So I dare I even ask, how do you have time to do all of these things that you're doing? <laughs> it's tough to juggle it sometimes, but uh, you know, if you, if you can make it a priority, it works. But yeah, I'm working on my master's right now. It's, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to be doing that. Not many people can make it to that fifth year and you know, pursue a master's degree. So I'm taking the full advantage of the education I have here at the University of Florida and um, I'm loving every minute of it. So getting that master's in management, what are your plans with that? Let's let's go post-football. What are you hoping to do with sure. that advanced degree? Um, you know, well, luckily I'm in the position where I don't really have to think about it too much yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I really am not sure. I couldn't answer that for you. But you know, I have a couple of different options played out. I, I've done a couple of internships in the past. And, you know, it's really kind of up in the air right now. I'm, I'm just going to try to get that master's degree and, and take my football career as long as I can go. And then you know, I'll go from there. Yeah, as far as football goes at the next level, what are some of the next steps that you're preparing for? What have what have people told you to be ready for? Um, just the competition is is crazy. Uh, the next level is, you know, it's very difficult to get to. And you know, if you look at some of the stats and the percentages of players that actually make it from college to NFL, it's very slim. So you know, going into this whole process, I just have to keep my expectations high, keep my confidence high, and you know, give it all I got for you know as long as I can. And you know, I have the Senior Bowl coming up, which will be very mm-hmm. exciting to play in, and I'll have the opportunity to get in front of you know GMs and scouts and coaches. So um, you know, I have really good opportunities coming up, and I just got to take advantage of it. And I'm blessed to be where I am. Fans and media people alike were shocked when you were left off of the finalist list for the Ray Guy Award. Given all that you've accomplished, I'm just curious what your honest reaction was when you found out that, that you'd been snubbed. Yeah, I was a little bit shocked. <laughs> um, you know, I pride myself in, you know, trying to be the best every day in practice and in games. And, you know, but at the end of the day, it's just an award. You know, it's nice to get that postseason recognition. But, um, you know, my goals reach much further than that. So, you know, we only have one game left in my college career and then my career is over and I'm pursuing something else. So in addition to punting, a lot of people probably don't notice that you're also the holder, Freddie Pinheiro, and, and you've been a part of a lot of his big kicks. What has it been like working with him since he's come in and really given that position a, a whole new flair? Oh, yeah, it's real fun. Uh, you know, we get after it every day at practice, and you know, we, we help each other get better, which is you know, cool, to, cool to see that relationship. Now, I push him to be better in practice every day, and he does the same for me. And uh, you'll see after we hit a big kick, we, we, don't, <laughs> we don't hesitate to celebrate. You know, I'm jumping all over and we're going crazy. And, you know, it's fun to have that success on the field together. We've seen that the trick shot videos for him when he makes, you know, the 80 yarders uh, in practice or on, on an you know, open field. 
Has it ever flipped? Are there any un, uh, unreleased videos of you taking some kicks out there that, that would impress people? <laughs> Many wouldn't believe it, but the ones that we've actually executed haven't been filmed. Really? <laughs> so, yeah, we, we actually <laughs> we, we mess around a lot at practice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in the off season, the summertime, you know, we're always doing fun stuff like, you know, kicking over buildings and kicking at garbage cans and <laughs> just trying to do fun stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we, we really don't film most of it. That We just happened to catch a day where, you know, Eddie was out there ripping balls and, you know, we had a camera. So. What's the longest field goal that you've hit? I actually don't kick. I kick drop kicks really well. I've hit a 70-yard drop kick. 70-yard um, drop kick? Yeah, that same day that Eddie was out there. Yeah, I crushed. Drop kicks are actually one of my best attributes as, <laughs> as a specialist. Wow. It's pretty funny. You could ask any of the guys that, you know, I'm a really, really good drop kicker. Why haven't those videos gone out on YouTube? I actually have one on my iPad. I tried to edit it because I, I videotaped it in slow motion. So I tried to put it on Twitter, but it wouldn't like I couldn't get it to be out of slow motion to where it would fit in like something I could post. Oh man! But you know, I have the video on my iPad, so I got to figure out a way to get that out there. You got to get your recognition. Is that you know Eddie gets all the love for all of his crazy exactly, field goals? Seven exactly. yard, seven yard drop kick would turn a lot of heads. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. The wind was blowing a little bit, but that's still a long kick to hit. Never a field goal though for you. Yeah, I've never really been a field goal guy. You know, I've um, you know just been a punter. I never played soccer, so you know leg swing mm-hmm. really didn't translate that easily, but. You know, I, I'm, I hit kickoffs as well and um, the punts, so that's it. All right, as we wrap up here, I want to get back to the Eagle Scout thing you mentioned a second ago because, I, I mean, that's that's pretty unique. I'm curious, what were the most important things you learned from your time as an Eagle Scout? Maybe some of your best stories. Yeah, well, one thing I learned, you know, best from Eagle Scouts is leadership. You know, especially when you get up to that age where you're about to earn the rank of Eagle, you have a bunch of young guys that are underneath you that are working for that same thing. So, you know, I, I played a big role of, you know, trying to help help guys, you know, figure out the right path and to stick with it because you know, it's hard. You know, when, when you're in Boy Scouts, um, you sometimes get scrutiny from your peers. Like, and it's, it's hard to stick with because it's, it's a long road. It's like 10 years. So, <laughs> you know, just helping keeping those young guys motivated and, you know, leading them in the right direction. It's, you know, it's pretty cool. So I, I think off the top of my head, I'm thinking about, you know, starting fires with sticks and, you know, getting mm-hmm. the badges, little things like that. What of those skills have translated the most? Like, what's a Eagle Scout skill that you've utilized in your post Scout life? And I'd have to think about that, but you know, I'm a huge outdoorsman, so I love fishing, I love hiking, camping, all that stuff. So, you know, a lot of those skills are actually really beneficial just for, um, you know, everyday life. You know, we went on a, a camping trip, me and my buddies, a couple months ago, and you know, we figured out how we we're going to start a fire and you know, tie <laughs> different knots, so you hang hang hammocks and things like that. So. It's actually super beneficial in everyday life, so it's pretty cool. Any camping stories uh, that went wrong? Any horror stories from your your scout camping days? <laughs> so yeah, in the Boy Scouts, you'll ever, you always have that kid that you know loves knives or is a pyro <laughs> and loves lighting stuff on fire. So uh, yeah, we've had a couple experiences with uh, like uh, deodorant cans Uh-oh. just exploding like bombs, and <laughs> so you got to be careful when you're out there, but. <laughs> Too many kids with skills that are dangerous, I guess. Yeah, exactly. The, the they dark, know way too much. <laughs> yeah, the, the dark the dark side of the Boy Scouts. Um, exactly. All right, final thing for you, Johnny. FSU this week, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but yeah, this is an important game for a lot of reasons, but among them, your senior class, trying to be avoid being one of the few classes to go winless against FSU. So I, I'm sure everyone's very aware of that. How much of a motivating carrot is that to try and get that first win against the Seminoles? And this is the biggest game of the year for us. And you know, like you said, we my class hasn't had the chance to beat Florida State. And, you know, that's not a good feeling. And when you come here, you know, that's your biggest rival and that's who you want to beat every single year. Um, you know, so it's, it's really motivating going into this week. And, you know, really, we're looking forward to competing on Saturday. 
Do you have many friends on Florida State's team that you've uh, gone back and forth with at all? I do. Yeah, actually, one of my good buddies is Jacquez Patrick, um, oh. the running back there. And, uh, you know, I tackled him a bunch in high school when we played against Timber Creek. So, you know, sometimes I give him a little bit of trouble about that. <laughs> I was playing linebacker and he's playing running back and he bounced outside and, you know, I chased him down from like 40 yards and caught up to him and made a tackle. So wow. <laughs> I always tell him that I'm faster than him. So it's pretty funny. <laughs> Any trash talk this week leading up to the game? There hasn't been any yet, but, you know, there will be. <laughs> Uh, well, Johnny, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Good luck against FSU, and good luck moving forward once your career here is done. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Duke Dawson followed the example of numerous upperclassmen during his early years before becoming the clear leader in the defensive backfield this season. Before his final game in the Swamp, he spoke with Jeff Cardozo about his career and how surprising it was that he became a Gator in the first place. I mean, growing up, I was a Florida State fan. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, but I mean, I was a Florida State guy. Yeah. But, but once I took my visits, uh, I came here. I mean, this is where I felt comfortable at. Um, uh, me and the coaches, we got a connection uh, day one. So, I mean, um, me coming here on my visit, I mean, it, it, it really, I really had my mind set up to where I wanted to go. And you even had a tough decision last year to, to come back and be yeah. a part of this thing. I know it hasn't worked out the, the greatest, but just to get to, to hang out with these guys, be around this bunch too, and a lot of guys you've known for so many years, got to be pretty special. I mean, yeah, man, that's probably one of the hardest decisions I had in my life, either to go to the league or come back, man. But when I sat down after that meeting that we had, I mean, I knew what was best for me and best for my family. So, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that I made that choice. And uh, another thing is, yeah, being around these guys, I mean, a lot of guys know me as being quiet. But these last couple of weeks, man, I've been more open to those guys. I mean, just enjoying every moment of it because I know I'm, I'm not going to get it back. And you're not quiet on the field. And that's evident by uh, the, the hits you make, the, the coverage that, that you do. And, yeah. you know, to, to play against some of the top competition in the country each and every week has got to be pretty cool. I mean, it's nice, man. Yeah, I, I went against a lot of great guys this year. I mean, I mean, I got their respect. They got my respect. So, I mean, uh, just going out every Saturday and competing, I mean, against those guys at a high level. I mean, I like to put myself in a situation to help my team win. So, I mean, I try my best to do everything I get, everything I can at a full pace. Well, and I think you, you learn some things that maybe carry on 10, 15, 20 years down the road because uh, you know some of the stuff that you have to go through now is probably going to make you a better person down that road. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, then again, I'm happy that I'm going through a situation like this, so I know how to to handle it. And I mean, I mean, I feel like we we've been handling it in a, in a great way. I mean, you see, no no guys haven't been, you know what I'm saying, down on themselves. I mean, everybody been up. When you uh, when you first strolled onto this campus, probably seemed pretty big, huh? Now yeah. you know about the every nook and cranny of it, and you know what Gainesville's all about. Yeah, when I first came, for me, just being close by, I mean, I ain't really know where to go. I mean, just I mean, I had people around me to you know what I'm saying to show me where to go. But after that, I mean, I knew what to do, and then I start leading other guys the right direction. Are there uh, there hot spots you're gonna miss when this is all said and done? You know, the, the, the late night burger place or something like that. Ooh, man, it's a lot of places, but <laughs> the main spot I'm gonna miss is playing in the swamp, man. I mean, it's a wonderful feeling every, every Saturday. My last opportunity, so, I mean, I'm trying to go out with a bang, man. I mean, just want to see a lot of smiles on people's faces. Uh, I mean, it came so fast for me, man, and it's here, so, I mean, I'm trying to embrace every moment of it. And that's the thing that, that people don't understand. I played baseball here, and, you know, the, the final game in McKeithen Stadium, you sit there, you don't think you're going to cry, you don't think you're going to yeah. tear up, but I'm, I'm sure you're going to tear up, aren't you? I mean, I'm going to be emotional, man, but then again, i got to focus on getting this W, man. I mean, I'm 0-3 against these guys, so, I mean, I, I'm trying to go all out this last game. Well, and these guys, too. I'm sure you know a lot of them uh, on yeah. the other side. Guys, yeah. you said you grew up a Florida State fan, so to do that, go against these guys, and there'll be some trash talking for the boys you know. 
I mean, we don't really too much talk trash. I mean, it'd it be a lot of positive things. I mean, the receivers, the running back, DeAndre Francois, one of my closest friends, the quarterback who was out. So, I mean, I got a lot of connections on that team. So, I mean, I mean, it's going to be physical and, um, and a hard fight throughout the game. But after the game, I mean, we boys again. But as the game goes on, I mean, we're not boys at that time. No doubt. Uh, and what are some of the things you guys have worked on this week to try to get better, try to prepare? You know, obviously, uh, Florida State hasn't had the, the same year that they would have expected either. But, you know, still two really great teams, some of the best in the country. I mean, there's nothing that we have to uh, work on. I mean, some things that we, we've been doing now, we're trying to sharpen up a little bit. Nothing new that we're throwing into the playbook. I mean, it's just the same things and just got to be more sharp, more crisp. And for you to, to be the leader, come back this year to be a part of that, some of the things that uh, yeah. you know maybe you didn't know as a freshman, what are some of the things you've taught some of these younger guys? Because you know, you're, you're the old guy of the bunch, and you got a bunch of little dudes back there that are just getting here. I mean, yeah, man, just playing with that swagger, that confidence, man. I mean, I had the confidence, but I, I really wasn't too sure at the time when I first came in because, I mean, it's something new. So, uh, I mean, I try to get those guys every tip that I can, man, on the field and off the field. And, I, I mean, it's showing right now. So, I mean, I'm proud for those guys. I don't take no credit, man. It just... That's what I have to do, and I mean, I love doing it. And what this place do for you to, to prepare you for the next level? I know you know everybody strolls in and says, you know, hey, I want to play in the NFL or mm-hmm. want to play in the NBA, Major League Baseball. But you, you realistically have that opportunity. So what did the University of Florida do for you to, for that have to happen? Um, I would say it's nothing physical. I would say it's all mental, man. You have to be uh, dialed in, locked in. You have to be choices that you make. You have to make sure you do everything right, man. I mean, it's it's nothing that you can do lacking wise because I mean, anything can sneak up on you, and I mean, it it can take a stroll in what you're doing, and I mean. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to have an opportunity every day to come out here and play. I mean, opportunity can be taken any day. So, I mean, you have to go hard at everything that you do because you never know what could happen. I mean, this, this university has shown me a lot with um, the mindset of everything. I mean, you have to look at things a certain way. And um, I think that that's something that I really improved on, um, looking at things more of a, in an adult way instead of, you know what I'm saying, in, a, in just a teenager uh, sure. way, but I mean that's that's something that I really think this university did for me, and I really appreciate it. Well, you got ninety thousand people that are going to be out there uh, telling you they they appreciate you. So thanks for all the hard work for four years, and uh, it's been awesome to watch. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. When the clock expired last Saturday, the Gators officially had their first victory since September thirtieth against Vanderbilt. And while it may have just been UAB on the other sideline, Randy Shannon's first victory as a head coach in a decade clearly meant a lot to him and his team. We spoke to Scott Carter about what the Gators did to snap their slide against the Blazers and what they'll need to do to find more success against the Seminoles. Well, you know, they made some plays, they got some turnovers, and I think more than anything, they uh, they controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides. Uh, Going into the game, you knew Florida had a size advantage uh, up on front defensive and offensive lines, and, and that came to fruition in the game. You know, got to remember, uh, Adam, UAB came in here 7-3. Uh, and three. A lot of people, you know, considering Bill Clark maybe for National Coach of the Year, considering, you know, that that program hadn't filled the team the last two years. And Florida really uh, just controlled from the start, got the early lead. Eddie Pinedo, obviously, uh, three early field goals, and, Felipe Franks, uh, he managed the game, I thought, pretty well. Had a couple of touchdown passes to his tight ends. Hey, Florida even got a couple of fumble recoveries. How about that on defense? So a lot of things that we thought the Gators would do during the season, uh, they did. They won that game with that formula. They controlled possession, I mean, more than 42 minutes uh, time of Mm. possession. Um, You hardly ever see that disparity in a game. Uh, And that goes back to where... They were running the ball, all three running backs, uh, Mark Thompson, LaMichael Pirine, Darius Lemons. We got an extended look at him in the backfield for the first time 
So, you know, they were running the ball, made some passing plays, and then the defense was creating turnovers. And you add all those up, and it's an easy 36-7 win for the Gators, and one that could tell how much they really needed just by the reaction of players and coaches. It, you could tell a burden had been lifted off of their shoulders. Yeah, Pineda actually set a UF record, two 50-yard field goals in the same game. So certainly he was a star. And those running backs too, Scott, I mean, it's one of the things that you know a lot of people are talking about right now, what makes this program attractive to a, a potential coaching candidate. And one thing has to be a really solid stable of running backs. You're obviously going to lose Mark Thompson, but Davis, Pirine, and now what we've seen in a little bit from Adarius Lemons, they're going to have some good running backs to work with going forward. Yeah, I do. I think that's one of the strengths of uh, the program right now. Uh, Malik Davis, uh, he's probably not going to be ready, obviously, to start of next year with his knee injury. Uh, but he showed great promise during the year. He's really one of their big play guys, a playmaker in the backfield, breakaway speed. Uh, Darius Lemons has a, some of that similar skill, maybe a little thicker, uh, a little bigger build, runs uh, a little tougher, I think, maybe between the tackles. And then, you know, the offensive line, which is, uh, they were down to seven players rotating uh, against UAB, and they did play pretty well, uh, having that size advantage. And and they just kind of, uh, they set the tone from the start at them. And once they got the running game going, you could tell that Felipe Franks just felt more comfortable that he didn't have to make all the plays. And I thought he played pretty well. He had a couple of passes, drops. His final stats, 15 out of 30, 152 yards, two touchdowns. Not, you know, that's not going to win you a Heisman or anything. But mm. I thought I thought he played well, had some drops. And, of course, he had a 48-yard pass to Tyree Cleveland uh, that ended up being a no catch. Although, at first, it looked like a catch for the ball and hit the ground. So, one that you like to see Cleveland hold on to. But, Overall, uh, a much-needed win and the best day the Gators have had uh, since September. So a win against UAB leads into what has become the biggest game of the year for Florida, mostly because of pride, because now it's Florida-Florida State, and it's a chance for these seniors to get their first win against the Seminole, Scott. And it's an interesting one, too, just because the circumstances, specifically the fact that both of these teams come in with losing records. Yeah, first time uh, since 1959, Adam. Uh, hmm. Again, that was before you were born. Guess what? That was <laughs> before I was born. That's how long. That's that, how long ago that was. That is a long time ago. Uh, and of course, their first time they ever played was 1958. So that's probably all you need to know. This is a program, or this is a series that has had some great games. Uh, and when both teams are peaking, it's considered one of the top rivalries in the country as it was throughout the 1990s when these teams met 11 consecutive years. Both programs ranked in the top 10. And, of course, we're getting the uh, total polar opposite of that. Both teams coming in four and six. So, you know, Florida State opened the season number three. Florida opened number 17. Uh, Nothing really has gone right. And to look back, really injuries severely hampered both teams. From the start, State lost Francois, their quarterback. Florida has had players fall left and right throughout the season. And now it's down to, like you said, it's about pride. It's about just getting your fan base excited for 2018 more than anything. And in Florida State's case, they have bowl aspirations. They even rescheduled their game a week from this week against Louisiana Monroe to keep alive those uh, those bowl bids because Florida State has uh, made 35 consecutive bowls. That's currently the longest streak in the country. And, you know, for the Gators, uh, 
Adam, it's, it's just a chance to spoil Florida State's bowl bid in uh, the season on a positive note, get some uh, momentum going into the offseason, get your fan base excited again and set up the program just in a, with the positive momentum for whoever the new coach is going to be going into 2018. And I think that should give the Gators enough to go out Saturday in front of their home fans and, and try to uh, leave it all on the line. And then the question as it's been in, in so many games, especially the latter half of the season, is which guys we're going to see on the field, who is actually available. So in terms of key guys who've been hurt recently, what does that status report look like? Well, just from what Randy Shannon has said this week, there's just a lot of day-to-day guys, whether it's Kadarius Tony, Malik Zaire, Elijah Conliffe, Ja'Kai Polite. Uh, you're going to have some guys we probably won't know until game time. Uh, but I think you're going to see Felipe Franks obviously start at quarterback. It's a chance for him just to, again, maybe get a signature win in his first season if he can beat Florida State. you got to remember the Knowles have kind of, you know, dominated this rivalry in recent years. They've won six of the last seven. They've won three in a row here in Gainesville. The last time the Gators beat FSU at home was uh, Tim Tebow's final wow. home game in the Swamp. So uh, there's a lot to play for for the Gators. Uh, a lot to play for for a lot of the young players on this roster. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see if some of those guys who have been hurt, Adam, who are day-to-day, if suddenly they don't feel a little bit better on Saturday, knowing the FSU's on the other side, that sometimes has a uh, just a magical uh, way of getting guys healthy. <laughs> <laughs> so looking at this Florida State team and what they've done this season, what do you see as the strengths of the Seminoles? Where do they present the most challenges? You know, again, I think their offense is always full of talent, although they lost Francois. You know, the young quarterback Blackman has come on uh, throughout the year. Obviously, a different kind of look than uh, Francois would give you, but they progressed with him some. He's coming off a 77-6 to win over Delaware State, mm-hmm. so uh, they can obviously score points when the offense is home and not that Delaware State has one of the best defenses in the country. But, you know, they played Clemson tough for a while. The one game that really stands out to me is they got blown out against Boston College. Yeah. I didn't see it coming. So it's been a very erratic team, a team that's been you know ravaged by injuries. Uh, obviously, the biggest difference is the coaching situation. Jimbo Fisher has been there, been a big winner. The Gators are now in the transition mode between a coach. And Fisher has success in recent years against the Gators. So there's not going to be any lack of confidence for Florida State coming in you know, on a disappointing season. But at the same time, Florida's got to somehow find uh, playing at home and some of those intangibles that you get from that to, to try to finally snap Florida State's dominance in this streak because that matters in recruiting. Hmm. It matters when you're looking for a new coach. And I think this is a big game for the Gators, even though I know a lot of fans are like, hey, it's, they're both four and six. Who cares? But I think this is probably a game that's more important for Florida than Florida State in terms of the big picture right now. Florida, Florida State will get going on Saturday. But before that, a lot of people might not be aware that the Florida soccer team is going to be competing in the Elite Eight on Friday night against South Carolina. So a really interesting story in that, you know, you have this SEC rivalry, which Florida played them at home at the end of the regular season about a month ago and lost. Now they've got another shot with a chance to go to their first college cup since the early 2000s. So there's a lot riding on the line for Florida soccer this weekend as well. Definitely, Adam. Uh, I was out there Sunday when they knocked off Washington State in double overtime. You got to remember, this is a program that 
They started off by knocking off high-ranked teams at Stanford and climbed as high as number two in the national polls, which was the highest they've been ranked in many years. Then, you know, as often happens, they start getting some injuries and they start the SEC and they kind of, you know, up and down a little bit. They've been playing really well of late and the now they're up at South Carolina. Becky Burley said, hey, this has worked out perfectly. This is what they wanted. They wanted another shot at South Carolina, two SEC teams. So you're guaranteed one SEC team is going to get to the uh, College Cup. And, you know, Florida's case, Adam, I mean, this could be a big thing for the program, too. If they go up there and can win, the College Cup is in Orlando this mm-hmm. year at the at the new soccer stadium. And as you know, I mean, Orlando has really uh, kind of fallen in love with their two uh, two professional soccer teams in recent years. So it would be a, a great stage for the Gators to be able to go down there, play in-state in front of what it's expected to be some nice crowds down there. Uh, but first, obviously, they got to get past the Gamecocks. Who, you know, this really has been a, an intense rivalry between Florida and South Carolina and soccer the past few years. You know, it's going to be a tough match. I mean, one goal could easily decide the thing. But the Gators are, are very confident right now with uh, some players like Deanna Rose and Gabby Soller uh, playing really well. And uh, I just, uh, you know, you can just tell by talking to Becky Burley this week that she likes uh, the frame of mind the team is in right now and just the way they're playing. I finally today, in lieu of a PAT, let's talk Thanksgiving. So, Scott, what is, uh, what is the Carter's Thanksgiving plan of choice this year? You know, Adam, we go back and forth between my wife's family, which is here in Gainesville, and my uh, my family, which is still down in Orlando. It's it's Orlando's turn this year, so <laughs> we go down and uh, we have a big old feast at my mom and stepfather's house. And my mom, uh, you know, it's it's very traditional. All the things that you think of when it comes to Thanksgiving is going to be on the table. And without question, I'm going to gain a pound or two. <laughs> you know, you you start off early. Then you watch football. Then you have seconds, you know, at halftime or so. And then, of course, you go back for thirds when the second football game starts. And by that time, I'm usually in a food coma there in the floor somewhere. <laughs> so that, that's that's kind of their plans. That's that's what it's usually like at, at the Carter house. That sounds like a uh, like a solid plan. We hope that you wake up from your food coma in time to go cover the Florida-Florida State <laughs> game, which is Saturday at noon. And people can watch that on ESPN and follow along with you at Gators Scott and check out all the content on FloridaGators.com as well. Uh, Scott, happy Thanksgiving to you, and we look forward to talking to you next week. All right, thanks, Adam. Right after turkey and stuffing, nothing says Thanksgiving like early season college basketball tournaments. The Gators are joining many of the nation's other elite programs in Portland, Oregon at the PK-80 tournament, celebrating the 80th birthday of Nike founder Phil Knight. We caught up with Chris Harry during Florida's first practice in the Rose City to get a primer on the weekend, but began by getting his reaction to the close call against New Hampshire. Well, what I saw from the Gators uh, that day, Adam, and you're absolutely right. I'm sure a lot of people came Sunday night to the O-Dome thinking, hey, the Gators had a chance to start the season with a third straight 100-point game. But you got to give credit to New Hampshire. They were an older team. They were a pretty physical team. They won 20 games last year. They were a smart team that had a really good game plan. They uh, they didn't send a bunch of people to the offensive glass. They decided to you know break back early to get in transition in the event of a missed shot to take away something that Florida is going to do better than probably anybody in the country this year. And it worked. And at the other end, Florida didn't make shots. 
I mean, uh, Mike White, I think at halftime the game was tied at 32. Mike White, you know, some coaches would have gone ballistic over a first half like that. I think, like I said, it was 32 all. But Mike White said, look, you know, we have to guard their center. He's killing us, and we and we have to make shots. You know, he was honest with those guys. And it was a game, man. It was a uh, uh, New Hampshire took a one-point lead, I think, with just over about nine and a half minutes left. And then Jalen Hudson scored right away on a dunk, and it was part of his uh, – that started his run of 19 points out of his – team's final 24 points he scored 26 uh he has 11 to 12 from the free throw line and he showed some of the things that i'm sure i've talked about i know i talked about on this podcast before relative to his ability to go get a basket and get him in bunches uh, i think he had he had a little malik monk look to him in that game and that didn't surprise me at all i've seen it at practice and he's got that same kind of capability that Kayvon allen has that maybe igor kolachov has in a, in, in a different way but uh, they needed it that night, and he certainly delivered. And now we'll see how it carries over uh, into this PK-80 tournament in Portland. But uh, if anything, Adam, I think uh, New Hampshire kind of throwing a scare into the Gators at home was maybe pretty good timing as far as coming out to this uh, tournament out here in Portland that is being billed as uh, maybe the most competitive and, and loaded uh, holiday tournament in the history of college basketball. So yeah, no question, a wake-up call as the Gators get ready for some serious competition. So Tell us about what Florida's going to see in Portland, Chris, and what this challenge looks like. Well, the first thing they're going to see are the Stanford Cardinals, and uh, that's their first opponent, Thursday night, 10 o'clock. They're a big team, fairly experienced team. They, their best player is Reed Travis, who's a fourth-year junior. They, they have some freshmen that are pretty good. They have some guys that are injured, they're, so they're not going to get the, the best of the Cardinal. Coming off a losing record last year, but they're going to be better than they were last year, and and they're big and probably not as quick and as agile as Florida. So I would expect Florida to try to get out and transition on them a little bit. But the big picture of this tournament, Adam, is what awaits the Gators. Win or lose, they're going to play either Gonzaga or Ohio State. They were fortunate enough to win a couple games. They could get either Butler or Texas or number one Duke in the championship game on Sunday. Hmm. So um, again, it's two brackets. On the other the other side of the bracket, the Gators won't play these teams. But you're talking about Michigan State. You're talking about uh, North Carolina. I did some numbers crunching. Arkansas is here, the other SEC SEC team. Um, Kentucky was originally supposed to be in this tournament when it was originally announced two years ago, but uh, um, had a conflict or something and ended up pulling out of it. But all told, Adam, 23 national championships in this tournament and 87 Final Four appearances in this tournament. And you're talking about some of the blue bloods in all the game when you throw out Duke, North Carolina, UConn's here. They have four national championships in the last 20 years. So just an incredible loaded field. And the Gators are really, really, uh, it's an honor to to be invited to a, to a tournament of this stature. Again, it's a PK 80. It's a, it's a tournament to honor and celebrate the 80th birthday of Phil Knight, the Nike founder. And of course, as such, Oregon is here. Phil Knight is Mr. Oregon as well as Portland and Portland state. So this is a great, this is a great sports town, a great basketball town. And, uh, they'll be out in full force for these two tournaments. Chris, final thing, just expectations for Florida. Who are you expecting to step up? Who needs to step up for Florida to perform well in Portland? I think what the Gators ideally would like to see is uh, a little bit more from Kayvon Allen. That's not to say Kayvon Allen has been asleep in the first few games. He scored uh, 18, I think, in the second game of the season. But he's just this guy, Adam, who he needs something to get him going a little bit. And I think the name Stanford on a jersey might be something that he needs to see as opposed to seeing uh, Gardner-Webb or New Hampshire or North Florida on a jersey. And, you know, we've seen uh, Igor go for 34. We saw Jalen Hudson put on a, an incredible scoring performance the other day on his way to 26. 
We haven't seen uh, Kayvon Allen do what Kayvon Allen does like he did in Madison Square Garden last year when he hung 35 on Wisconsin in a Sweet 16. But um, I also expect to see a, a really good uh, performance from Chris Chioza, who I think is playing at a really high level and it gets t- in a game against Stanford, which is a little bit – they're big and they're maybe a hair slow and not particularly great at lateral quickness. If the Gators can spread the floor and allow Hudson and Chioza and Kayvon Allen to drive the ball and either finish around the rim or kick, um, they'll be in pretty good shape. And then, then they could get Gonzaga or in the second round. And of course, that would be a rematch of a game played Friday last year in the Thanksgiving tournament when the two teams played in Orlando. In that game, Florida had a 10-point lead and ended up losing by four. So uh, there's some familiarity here. That's obviously not the same Gonzaga team as last year. But sure. again, I, I can't, Adam, uh, stress you know just how great this field is and how cool it is for the Florida Gators to be part of uh, such a historical kind of event. And let's face it, it's a tournament. It's not like the Maui Invitational or Battle for Atlanta. This is a tournament that's going to be played once mm-hmm. for the guy's 80th birthday. And uh, it's really cool that the Gators are here and, be, and being part of it. Got to make you count. And we know that uh, you got to go back out in the practice squad. I think you're, you're on the practice squad, correct? I, <laughs> I may be on the practice squad, but they certainly don't want me on the scout team. That's for sure. <laughs> no scout team duty, but obviously practice going in the background. So go get back to that. Have a great Thanksgiving. And uh, we look forward to talking to you about it next week. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys, too. Take care. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Check out FloridaGators.com to find out when and where basketball will be playing throughout the weekend in Portland, and watch football close out their season against FSU on Saturday at noon on ESPN. We'll be back with a new episode next Thursday, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, wishing you and your family a happy Thanksgiving on behalf of the Gators.